Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Okay, if you have your Bibles and you're able and willing to turn with me to the book of Matthew, the beginning part of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, please. I always say for communion to make sure you open the right side of the cup. And I didn't open the right side of the cup here. You didn't see that. While I was praying, I opened the cup and I didn't have my eyes open. So, needless to say, there's a big grape juice stain in Matthew chapter. Uh, We start this morning uh, a four-week series uh, entitled Christmas Faith. Christmas Faith, this is week one, and today we'll look at uh, the character of Joseph. Next week we'll look at Mary, and we'll look at different characters along the way. And one of my hopes and, and prayers is that, uh, that we can become so familiar with the Christmas story that we lose we lose sight and we lose the significance of, of, of the faith that it took for these individuals to walk through that time. And I think it can teach us and show us a lot. And one of the things that I desire is that, that each point that we'll walk through this month, it will start with the word God. Because ultimately, that's where our faith rests in, right? If our faith is in anything else other than God then we are going to struggle, and, and it's going to be hard. And yet, as we look to God, we see his work. And today, I want to remind us that God has been working. We need that reminder to, to know and to believe that even as we see here, and even in the midst of the chaos and all that's going on, that God has already been working. It's not something that's brand new. God didn't just show up today and because he was on vacation for a couple weeks, you know, things went into chaos and now he's back and now he's going to put it all back together. It's not like God sent Jesus and that once Jesus ascended into heaven that he just left everything in, in utter chaos. He's still working and he was working even as we see this story in the book of Matthew, as, he's, as we see this period of time between Malachi of the Old Testament where the prophets were speaking to the nation of Israel and in their rebellion they turn away from God, there's a, a, a period of silence from God and yet the prophets, their words still hung in the air. So here they spoke and God has spoken through them and yet over 400 years, for 400 years there's this silence and then all of a sudden, we see John the Baptist show up, fulfilling these promises that we see of the Old Testament, and then we see the Messiah, the Messiah coming. As we look here in Matthew, Matthew starts off with the genealogy. Some of you have been reading through the books of the Bible, and it's always interesting for me to hear those who are reading through the Old Testament, and when you get through Numbers and Deuteronomy and all those things, it's like, oh, really? Do I need Numbers? Like, what is all this that makes sense? These genealogies are another one of those, right? You kind of read through Matthew, and Luke's got one later. 
and you, you got all these names, and, and don't worry, I'm not going to read through it today. It's okay. You don't have to be alarmed. These names are tough, all right? But they're there for a reason and a purpose. This genealogy, Matthew begins on, on, on a purpose here, and he starts this letter uh, helping us, this gospel for us to understand. It's about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so he walks us through uh, Abraham to David, and then from David to, to Christ, to the coming of Christ. And he shows us that picture and how Jesus has the right to be called the son of David and to be king. That's something Matthew will, will continue to reiterate through his gospel, that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne, to David's throne. After the genealogy, we see here, verse 18. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we read verses 18 through 25? You can follow along on the screen behind me, or hopefully you have your text in front of you as well. Matthew writes, and he says in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. Would you bow and pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to understand it better today and take the truth of your word and live it out. That we may know that you have been at work and that you're continuing to work in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Here we see Joseph. It's interesting as we look at how the angel approaches him and calls him Joseph, son of David. Again, it gets to the point of why Matthew is writing this gospel message and it helps us to understand who Joseph is. If you look at the lineage, Joseph falls right into this lineage from David. All right, so that means that even though we know Jesus is not Joseph's biological son, as father, Jesus has the right to the throne of David through Joseph. He is the son of David. That is not a term that would be loosely thrown around here. There is great significance when the angel of the Lord calls Joseph son of David. When we see Joseph, he has been pledged to be married. It's a term betrothed. We do things a little bit different today, right? In, in our culture, well, we get engaged. And when you get engaged, you make a promise. And 
that you're moving forward to uh, marriage. This betrothal is, was a little bit different and a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say significant. It, 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 it pretty much meant when you were betrothed, you were bonded. You wouldn't have sexual relationships yet as a married couple would, but you were working towards that very thing of that moment of the wedding and the ceremony. You were pledged. You were promised. And as we look at this, um, Mary was with child. Think about that. Men, remember your, your uh, engagement? Imagine if your wife, the one that you love and that you are engaged to, shows up after a few months and she's showing. We'll talk about Mary next week and how that all transpired, but here's Joseph and one day here's Mary and he's like, something ain't right here. Well, only one thing could be true, right? She must have cheated on him with another man. I love the text and how Matthew writes. We see the character of who Joseph was. When, he, when his mother, Jesus' mother, Mary, had been betrothed, verse 18, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So she hadn't cheated on him. No, the Holy Spirit indwelt her. Again, we're going to look at that next week. Joseph doesn't know that yet. All he sees is this woman who he has promised and pledged to that he is going to spend the rest of his life with, that he's already committed to, hasn't been so committed to him, it appears. It's almost like Dateline, you know? You need to hear the rest of the story. Paul Harvey. Those of you who don't know who that is, See, I'm not that young, all right? <laughs> Verse 19 shows us the character of Joseph and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph didn't want to make a big scene about this. He could have. He could have very easily brought Mary before the religious leaders, and she could have even been stoned to death. But Joseph, that wasn't in him. It wasn't part of his character. No, he was a just man, and because of that, he resolved that he would just divorce her quietly, that nobody needed to know. Enough people would have figured it out, but it wasn't going to be a public spectacle. Nobody would have blamed Joseph at this point, right? Verse 20. I love that word. What's the first word there in verse 20? But. This is what's going on in life. This is our perspective. This is what we see. But there's something else going on. It's a reminder for us, as you sit here today, to remind yourself as you walk by faith that God has been working. You may have this perspective that Joseph had. 
but there may be something more. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I've had some dreams. Some have been very real. And I'm thankful when I woke up and realized after a couple hours they weren't real. You know, I, I imagine having a dream like this. Some people ask me, what, what do my dreams mean? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us clearly what that looks like. It may mean that you should not eat late snacks, a late night snack, okay? It could be that maybe God's working on you and trying to show you something. Or it could be just something that you have been pondering in the back of your mind that you need to work through. It's not about our dreams here. That's not my point. Joseph has a dream and God speaks to him through the angel. Let's see what he says. The angel comes to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. We've talked a little bit about that. Here's the title that he gets. It's interesting as Joseph was probably hearing that. Probably thinking, okay, what? what? Joseph, yeah, that's my name. Son of David. Ooh, haven't heard that for a while. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. It's interesting, every time we see a, uh, an encounter of an angel with a person, the first thing that they say is, don't be afraid. Now, notice the text and the way that it's written here. The angel isn't saying, don't be afraid of them. No, it goes right into what the angel is, is telling him. Hey, I understand your concern. Your wife, the one that you are betrothed to, is showing to be with child. And what does the angel say? Do not fear to make, take Mary as your wife. What? Let me tell you why here, Joseph. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is pretty awesome. To think about the faith that it would take as Joseph laid there hearing this dream and as he awoke from it, what must have gone on in his mind? Did I eat something late last night? God, what are you doing? I believe this was so real in Joseph's life. He couldn't help but to believe it. And we see that a little bit more in the text here and a little bit later. This, the angel goes on and says, she will bear a son. Don't fear to take your wife or your Mary as your wife. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. My son, this baby that is in my betrothed wife's womb is going to save people. Not as a normal king to save a nation that Israel was waiting for, the Messiah to come and save them. From the Romans, 
to deliver them so that they could have freedom to enjoy as a nation again. No, this was to save people from their what? Their sins. Verse 22, Matthew records for us, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. So now Matthew is going to give us more insight. And as he does, he, he references back to the prophet Isaiah. It won't be up on the screen, but I encourage you, would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah? And let's go back and look at this text in Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, what Matthew records for us is this promise that was going to be fulfilled. It was going to be fulfill what the Lord had already spoken to the prophet. This promise was, is found in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Let me read it for you, and then we'll look at the context of what Isaiah 7, 14 and what's going on there. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now in the context, what we see here is this is a prophecy. And with any prophecy of the Old Testament, we have what is a near or a partial fulfillment. And then we see the ultimate or a far off fulfillment. Which this takes me back to my good old Sesame Street days. Back in the good old days. And good old Grover. This is your trusty old friend Grover. And I'm here to teach you about near and far. He comes up to the screen. This is near. This is far. And he goes back and forth. You can look it on YouTube. It's pretty cool. He helps the young learner to understand this is what near is and this is what far is. When we come to prophecy, all right, as Isaiah is speaking these words, uh, there is a clear near uh, true fulfillment of this prophecy. But there is also an ultimate, a far conclusion to this prophecy as well. Let me walk you through the story. Isaiah chapter 7, uh, Ahaz is a wicked king of Israel. All right? And he is fearful and scared because uh, the, the, the king of Syria, and we'll see Damascus, the king of Syria and the king of Judah have teamed up together to, uh, to defeat other nations. And they asked King Ahaz to come and to join them, but he rejected it. Partly, I think, because he was so full of pride and arrogance, he wanted his own kingdom. He wasn't going to go to battle with these other guys. Well, they come in the beginning of Isaiah chapter 7, and they're going to come and they're threatening King Ahaz that they're going to come and, and, and overthrow Israel here. Remember, Israel as a nation is divided into two kingdoms now. There's Judah and Israel. Ahaz is the king of Judah here, or king of Israel. And he's fearful now that the king of Syria and the king of Judah have teamed up and that they're going to come and defeat him. He's fearful, but all, even beyond that, 
We see in uh, chapter 7, verse 2, it says, When the house of David was told, Syria is in the league with Ephraim, and the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. That's called great fear. You ever been so fear, fearful you shook? You see it a lot in children when they get really scared. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, is telling us the people are so fearful that these two kings are going to come and to conquer them that they're deathly afraid. That's where the Lord shows up to Isaiah, the prophet, and Isaiah comes to King Ahaz. Uh, The Lord tells Isaiah, I want you to take your son and you guys go and tell King Ahaz that I will protect you. This is a wicked king who doesn't turn to God, doesn't want anything to do with God, worships foreign gods, and yet here is Isaiah coming on behalf of the people and saying to the people of Israel, I'm going to protect you. The Lord has promised that he is going to protect you. That's why he says in Isaiah 7, 4, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart faint Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. You got to love the prophets and how they talk, right? How the Lord talks through them and giving this description. Verse 5 Because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Ramhah have devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tebal, the king in the midst. Thus says the Lord. Here's the Lord's promise. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Razin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. He promises there's going to be an end to these two kings and their kingdoms. And so verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shoal or as high as heaven. What does it say? But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, we may take this and say, oh, this is a man of great humility. He didn't want to put, the, put God to the test. No, if you look at the life of Ahaz and how he lived his life, he didn't want anybody's help. When he's looking, and, and, and when the prophet of Isaiah comes to King Ahaz, And says, ask God for a sign and he's going to give it to you. Nothing's too high, nothing's too low. Nothing's too big or too small. Just ask for a sign. And what he does is he says, no, I don't need a sign from God. So does he take the truth of God, the words of God, and does he believe them? I think the answer is no, he doesn't. I love how God works, even when we sometimes are stubborn and hard-hearted. 
Because while King Ahaz didn't want a sign, verse 13, it says, And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, and that you weary my God also? Isaiah says then, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Even though you don't want a sign, God's going to give you a sign. And here's the sign. Because I believe this sign was not just for King Ahaz. This sign was for the people of Israel. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. Some texts read a young woman. There's a lot of controversy around this text, and we'll get into it in just a moment. A young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as hath not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah and the king of Israel. Jump down to chapter 8. Then the Lord said to me, to Isaiah, take a large tablet and write on it the common characters belonging to Mashalahazbaz. I will get reliable witnesses. Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jerobetiah to attest for me. And so I, who is this? Isaiah went to the prophetess, which is his wife. All right, you can do your research and do your study. What does this mean? This is probably Isaiah's wife. We already know that he's married because in chapter 7, God spoke to him about bringing his son along with him when he talked to the king Ahaz. So he goes into his wife, who is the title probably as prophetess, because why? Because Isaiah is a what? A prophet. Now, we don't do this in our culture, but when my wife was teaching, uh, teaching school or substituting down in Akron, uh, and when one young man found out that she uh, was the wife of a pastor... He said to her, oh, you are the first lady of the church. And that floored my wife because she had never heard that term before. She's like, she came home. She's like, I'm the first lady of the church. <laughs> this is probably a title that is given to Isaiah's wife. All right. He isn't going and sleeping with a prophetess that isn't his wife. Why? Because later on, he condemns those who are living in immorality. He's not going to be doing something and then condemning it at the same time. Here's a title. And what happens? He goes into his, prophet, his wife, the prophetess, and she conceives and she bears a son. And the Lord said to me, call his name Mah, Maher Shalal Hasbaz. That's a great name. For before the boy knows how to cry... My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Israel, before the king of Assyria. Remember Grover? Near. Far. Here's the nearness. Here's what 
God is promising through the prophet Isaiah, here's the promise. I am going to deliver you. I will keep you safe. And here's the sign. Isaiah's wife has a child, and before that child is even old enough to cry out mother or father, Syria is not going to be even around. So what are we talking about? Well, usually a child is in the womb for nine months, right? And then after nine months, maybe another year, two years, before they cry, Daddy, Mommy, as we saw in chapter 7, before they know right and wrong. And so here's this promise that, listen, hang on, because in just a few years, this is what I'm going to do. What's great is the connection that we see that Matthew brings. We see the nearness of the fulfillment of this prophecy. The far, far, Matthew gives us a glimpse. There's a promised one who's coming from a virgin. The Greek manuscripts, as we look at that, is very clear. This isn't just a young woman. It could have used a young woman here. But as Matthew records this, helps us to see this is one who has not had relations. Here's a fulfillment in this far off 700 years after the promise. God has been working and there's a fulfillment. And the angel comes to Joseph and says, listen, the time has come. And you're a big part of this. He shows Joseph and he reminds him, I've been working you can trust me. And that's where Matthew writes in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which Matthew helps us to understand what does that mean. It means that God is with us. Just as God promised King Ahaz and the people at that moment, his people, I am with you, and here's a sign to show you that. So is this coming of the Messiah, Jesus. I'm working, and I'm promising you, I am with you. Here's the sign that you can be looking for. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Joseph wakes up from his dream, and he takes it all in. Notice what Matthew says in verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he delayed for a few months until finally coming to peace. That doesn't say that, right? Like you're adding to the word. Careful, I'm not adding. I'm just being silly, okay? Don't take Revelation, the end of Revelation, and throw it at me. Anybody adds or takes away. I don't want that. Joseph woke up from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. What did he do? Here Matthew makes it very plain and simple. He took his wife. Think about 
the message that that would have sent to everyone else who was looking and who didn't have an angel come to them. Who didn't have that inside information. The ridicule. The slander. The outcasts in a community that lived very close together. Joseph didn't delay. The text doesn't tell us that he delayed. It says when he woke from his sleep, he took Mary as his wife. That's obedience. That's living by faith. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Matthew helps clarify, listen, this is a miraculous conception. Joseph didn't go in and try to finagle and we can't argue and say, oh, Mary must have gotten pregnant because Joseph went in. No, Joseph didn't have relations with her until after Jesus was born. How do we know that to be true? Because Matthew tells us. The beauty of what we see here is that you and I are part of, we are a piece of a part of a master puzzle picture. That your life is something more significant than just living your little life. Joseph became part of a piece of this puzzle. And we don't, we don't see and we don't hear a lot from Joseph for the rest of the story other than him and Mary have to run back to the temple to find Jesus because they lost their son in the midst of the caravanning. Other than that, we don't really hear a lot about Joseph. And yet here he is, a piece. He's one piece of God's miraculous puzzle picture. Some of you may do some puzzles here during the holidays. Kind of been our tradition. We do a puzzle uh, during our Christmas break. And What's beautiful is when it's all done, right? What's challenging is when you have all of those that look the same and you don't know where they go. It's that way in life. And we look at our lives sometimes and we're like, how do I fit into this miraculous picture that you're, that you're making, God? The first place where we start is we see that God has already been working. He's been working and setting things up for you. You are here at this place at this time for a very reason. He wants to utilize you. And yet as we look at the life of Joseph. It's going to take faith to trust him. God has spoken to us. Just as the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and spoke to him. Do you believe that God has spoken to you? It may not have been through an angel in a dream, but God has given us his word, has he not? God has spoken to you. He's given us his very words. Just as Joseph had the word of God from the angel. Just as the people of Israel had the word of God through the prophet Isaiah. We have been given God's word. God has spoken to us. The truth is then, what do we do with this word? And that is, we need to live out what God has told us. Joseph did that. He took Mary. He lived it out. We say it's when the rubber meets the road. 
Do you have faith that God's word is true, that he's spoken to us, and in that speaking, that he's working a miraculous great plan for my life, and that I can trust him and believe him, and that I can do what he's called me to do? Sometimes those are simple little things. Sometimes those are bigger, more challenging things. But the truth is, it's about us living out what God has told us. That's Joseph's faith. That's what we see as Matthew records for us. And that's the truth. God has been working. And you sit here today and you have an opportunity to live out your faith. It may not be that you're engaged to a woman who's showing with child. It may be some simple way that God has said, I want you to be obedient here. It may be as simple as doing exactly what God wants us to do. By living obediently, showing love, kindness, forgiveness. As you walk through the month of head, and as we look forward to the coming of Christ... We rejoice because of the faith examples that have been set for us. Today, don't forget. Live out what he has spoken to us, but don't forget this. God has been working. The genealogies tell us that. Abraham to David, 14 generations. David to the exile, 14 generations. Then Jesus, 14 generations. That's a lot of years. 42 generations. 42 generations. We may have what? Four generations sitting in here today. Three. Some of you are well-seasoned. And we have some babies. 42 generations. It's a reminder to us as we look at the genealogy that God continues. He was at work and he continues to work. Don't be isolated in your thinking that we're just a blob and we're just along for this ride. God has a purpose and a reason for your life. And it requires faith to walk with him. Will you bow with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Joseph, that when he woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. Lord, may we be that obedient to your commands. You've commanded us to love you. You've commanded us to love others. And yet we, we struggle to live that out in faith. And sometimes it's because we believe that we're so isolated and that we don't fit into your great picture and we don't see how we fit into that puzzle. But Lord, we thank you for this example that we read here in Matthew 1 
And it reminds us that you have been at work and that you continue to work. To work things out for your good pleasure. We're here as your instruments to live by faith. And I pray that you would increase our faith this week. That as we walk through this month, the weeks ahead, Lord, that you would help us to believe and to trust to be reminded of the promise that you have been at work, which gives us confidence to live by faith today. So help us to walk obediently, trusting you. As your head's bowed, I wonder... You hear the story of Joseph and say, oh, that's great. Man, he was a great man of faith. What's God speaking to you about this morning? What does God want you to do as you walk out of here today? Just as Joseph, when he woke from his sleep, he did. What is God desiring for you to do today? That he's commanded you to do, that he wants you to do, that he's desired for you to do, that you know you need to do, because to not do it would be disobedience to him. In this moment, would you just take and speak to the Lord? And if he's speaking to you, would you commit to walking with him in faith? Lord, as we leave here this morning, we sing in our minds and our hearts what the old hymn writer penned. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. May we carry that with us as we live this week. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May God bless you as you walk this week in faith.